Good morning. There are moments when you're proud of your church. And this morning when Jordan said, hey, any Patriot fans and you guys booed? I was so proud. I was like, man, I love, I love my church. I love them. I love them. I hate the Patriots. My Seahawks, we lost them a few years ago when we should have ran it with Marshawn and they threw it. There are bigger things in the world, I know, but still it hurts a little bit, let's be honest. And then I hate the Rams too, so I feel like if there's any way both of them could lose the day, I'm going to be a happy guy. That's the deal. I'm going to eat a lot of pizza. I'll be winning, all right? It's your first time. I'm Tyler. I'm the pastor here, and we are finishing up a series titled Moments. Everybody say Moments. I've loved this series. I feel like the Lord has ministered to me, and I hope it's uh, ministered to you. Uh, first week, we talked about adversity, basically that tested disciples are the best disciples. As you have moments in your life where you're going to go through a test, and God is not putting you through that test to hurt you or to punish you, but he's trying to develop, I believe, a disciple that is built to change the world and to show people there's a different way to live. In the second week, we talked about Esther, and Esther is this amazing woman in the Bible that has a story where uh, she has this moment in her life where she has to decide, am I going to live for myself or I'm going to live for a purpose bigger than myself? And she doesn't miss her moment. She is used to save a whole nation. And then last week, we talked about David, and we love the story of David and Goliath, and David and Goliath is an amazing story, uh, and everybody loves that moment, but we talk about the moments that led up to that moment, to know that every moment has its own significance, that uh, David served himself to those moments. He didn't strive, but serving is such a key part of our life. And today, we're going to finish up in time of message moments, overcoming wounds and failures, wounds and failures. And this was birthed out of a verse in Psalms that just simply said, the psalmist said, teach me to number my days that I might gain the heart of wisdom. Teach me to number my days that I might gain the heart of wisdom. And so today, the, the wisdom that we want to gain in this moment of our life, because our life is but a breath, but a moment, is that you have to make a decision today as we go through this, if you're going to overcome your wounds or overcome your failures or allow them to own you for the rest of your life. And the problem is, is how many years are you going to give to a wound? How many years are you going to give to a failure? Because Jesus died on the cross so you wouldn't be stuck, but he would unstuck you, if you will, okay, and move you to your promise. I want to read you a verse, and I believe that Jesus came so we would be overcomers. He says this in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me, everybody say in me, you may have peace. You're not going to have peace in your strength. You're not going to have peace in your own ideas. You're not going to have peace when you have a lot of money. The only time you're going to have peace, it says, is when you are in him. In this world, you will have trouble. Anybody going to say amen to trouble? Yeah, you ever had a hard day? Yeah, we can all agree with that, okay. Uh, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I'll tell you a story real quick. Uh, Muhammad Ali, anybody love boxing or love Muhammad Ali? He's one of my favorite athletes of all time. I love greatness. I love watching somebody do things that people say they couldn't. Well, Muhammad Ali got on a plane one time, and it's one of the more famous stories about Muhammad Ali, but he got on a plane, and the flight attendant walks up to Muhammad Ali and says, uh, Mr. Ali, uh, you need to put your seatbelt on. Muhammad Ali looks at the flight attendant and says, Superman doesn't need no seatbelt. The flight attendant, just being quick-witted the way she is in this amazing story, she looks back at him and she goes, Superman doesn't need a plane either. Put on your seatbelt, Muhammad Ali. <laughs> it's just bam, bam, okay? I, I want you to catch this real quick. There are no superheroes in this room. There are no superheroes. And you may say, hey, I don't need any help from you. I don't need Jesus. I don't need any direction. I got this. But the problem is, is that you need to come to this place in your life that all of us in this room are sinners that need a savior. Wounded people that need a healer. Lost people that need a shepherd to lead them 
to the promise. And the only way you're going to overcome is not by you just saying, okay, I got this. It's when you read a verse like John 16, 33, and says, okay, I've been wounded. I have failed. Sin is an interesting word, by the way. It's, it's one of those words that our world doesn't like to talk about. They use other ones. Because really what sin has brought into this world is things like shame. You're not built to carry shame. That's, that's not God's intention for you. Shame is a fruit or symptom of sin, if I could put it that way. Fear and worry is a symptom of sin. Not being able to move on in your life is, is what sin brought into this world. And then Jesus came and said, mm -mm, I came to overcome sin. I came to overcome the wounds so you could overcome the wounds. And so my prayer today is that you would realize that hey, you don't need to be a superhero because you have a great savior named Jesus. And we're gonna watch him walk us through scripture and teach us how to overcome wounds from other people, wounds from family members, wounds from the church. Man, there's nothing like a church wound, I'll tell you that much. That, those ones cut deep. But also he's gonna teach us how to deal with our own failures. Some people are like, if you knew what I did in my life, there's no way, that, I know you say Jesus loves everybody, but if you knew what I did, well, once you find out if you knew how great God's love is, you realize that your failure is already forgotten. We bow your heads. So, Father, as we close out this moments series, I pray that we would understand that you have given us a gift as a church. And it's the Bible. It's your word. It's alive and active. Oh, that you want to speak to us through it, that you want to show us to overcome things, that, that the moments in our life that happened 10 years ago, they're not supposed to control these moments. These moments are new. They're fresh. There's promises. Our, our pain and our past will not dictate our present and our promise. Oh, we need you. May my words fall to the floor and may your words soar. And everybody said? I want to read you a verse. The first thing, if you want to overcome moments in your life, and again, I'll, just, I'll put it this way. Your problems are not the problem. Say it again. What? Huh? Your problems are not the problem. Your attitude towards your problem is the problem. Your perspective towards the problem is the problem. Have you ever met people in life and you're like, why is that person move on? Why is that person in the church? Why are they healthy and whole and loving people, but the other person isn't? It's because one person actually has seen Scripture and believed the promise of Scripture and has the attitude towards Scripture that if I live this way, I can become whole again. But some people have this view towards their problems. Well, this is just my problem. You don't understand my problem. I'm the only one that has problems. Well, Jesus would say this to you if you're the only one that thinks that you've ever been hurt or wounded. It says this in Luke 17. He said to his disciples, it is impossible. Everybody say impossible. That's a statement from Jesus that no offense should come to you in this world. It's going to be impossible for you to be birthed into this world, go to school, hang out with friends, have relationships, and just be like, hey, you know, like you're 37 years old or 36. You're like, nobody's ever been mean to me. Nobody's ever made fun of my nose. Nobody's ever betrayed me. Nobody ever made fun of my weight when I took my shirt off. I never had a girlfriend cheat on me in high school. That's never happened. I'm okay. That was my life in a snippet. Yeah. My dad never told me a good job. I don't want to talk about it. I'm all better now, by the way. Daddy wounds. We all, I, again, I, I thought, I would, you know, you're born in this world. You even go to church. I remember going to church for the first time. Oh, finally. People who love the Lord, I'm going to be fine here. <gasps> Not so much. It didn't even take a year. It took months to just, you know, I love you, Lord. And just somebody, six, 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 uh, I thought you loved Jesus. David even says in his scripture, he goes, I get it if it was my enemy who wounded me, but we worshiped together and you wounded me. These are scriptures David said, it's so hard to get over this wound. 
But I remember coming into church not being one that grew up in church, and I remember the first wound I got from a pastor and the first wound I got from a mentor and a friend, and I was like, how do I get over this? Oh, I'm so thankful for the Word of God because He shows us how to get over it. I want to share you a story real quick. and It comes from a, a, a true story in 1993. They uh, actually made a movie called Black Hawk Down. Anybody like some good movies like that? Who loves Black Hawk Down? Black Hawk Down. Okay, uh, it's, a, it's a war movie. If you don't like war movies, I love war movies. I, wanted, I tried to talk my wife into watching Hunter Killer, the new submarine movie that just came out. She's like, that's a Tyler movie. I was like, okay, okay. I was like, what kind of name is that, by the way? Hunter Killer. Like, what? Let's call it Hunter. No, Killer. Hunter Killer. Yes. <laughs> Great movie title. Boom. Okay, Gerard Butler. So I uh, didn't get to watch it, but Black Hawk Down is actually based off a true story. 1993, it's uh, the biggest shootout that our military has encountered since Vietnam at that moment in 1993. And so in, in the book, and now they, of course, made a movie, the captain is driving up to one of the lieutenants. And just to set it up, imagine being in a, a place where just fire is coming from all angles, all angles, and, and people are dying, and the captain goes, get in and drive. And the lieutenant says to the captain, but I'm shot. And the captain says to the lieutenant, everybody's shot. Get in and drive. We're all shot. And the lieutenant's like, oh, okay. Everybody's shot in this moment. And the lieutenant gets in and drive. And I sometimes feel like in this message, and I want to start with this, is a lot of people go, hey, we're going to love people. We're going to forgive. You're going to overcome. You're like, you don't get it. I'm wounded. And I want to say back to you, we're all wounded. Shots have been fired from all angles. I remember coming to church, I thought I was the only person that had daddy wounds. That was the only person that suffered from abuse. I thought me and Rachel were the only ones that had childhoods the way we did. And then I realized this is what happens in life when you have fallen people. It's messy. We've all been wounded. And so I'll say, start loving people. You don't understand, I've been shot. We've all been shot. Start loving. Start forgiving people. You don't understand, I've been wounded. We've all been wounded. Start forgiving. Oh, you got to start serving. You don't understand, I've been hurt. I get it, we've all been hurt. Take a season to get regrouped, but man, when you serve in the church and you sock the enemy in the face and say, you thought you would have me just sit at church and look and think about my past. No, 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 this wound is getting healed. I'm gonna start loving, I'm gonna start forgiving because my God has me overcome all things. Goes on to say, and I love this in Romans 8, Paul's talking about sheep getting slaughtered. It's a lot like Black Hawk Down for the church, just he's painting the picture. He says, yet in all these things, everybody say all these things. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. To become an overcomer of these moments, you're going to have to decide, are you going to be a complainer or a conqueror? Man, have you? I'll share my story about my dad now, not to complain about it, but to share the victory that I have in it now. My dad and I were talking this week. I love my dad. God's restored our relationship. But as you navigate this next week, you can complain about what happened to you, or you can go to God and say, I get it. I was wounded, but I'm going to navigate like a conqueror. A lot of us are just wounded healers walking around. We're coming up to somebody else while we're bleeding, while we're trying to help their wound. And as you do those things, you'll notice that your wound will actually become a scar where you can point to it and talk about it. But it doesn't hurt anymore. It just has a story behind it. And that's what my, my dad and I is now. It's just a scar. I can touch it. It doesn't hurt anymore. I remember when it was like a wound and it felt infected and I'd talk about it and I'd literally start weeping and I'd be like, man, I feel like I'm there again. Like I was 14 when my dad cussed me out and I remember just saying, I'm done. God wants to move you past those moments where you go, yeah, I got cut, but man, God, look, I'm healed. I'm fine. So my prayer today is as we go through a handful of principles, there's going to be a decent amount of points today, that you would get a few promises, a few truth 
uh, truth scriptures in your life that would set you free and put you on the right trajectory to become an overcomer from wounds and failures. Does that sound good? All right, here we go. So first ones uh, that you need to understand, if you really want to have a, a wound become a scar, because again, it's, I'm not saying that once you overcome a wound, you don't even think about it, it's over. No, it's part of your story. It will always be a part of your story. Not a bad part of your story. It'll be a part of your story how your Savior was bigger than your wound and your Savior was bigger than your failure. But for that actually to happen, Jesus can't be something you just try out. He has to be the one that you're committed to. Overcomers know where to remain. They know where to hunker down. They know where to stay committed. They know where they're supposed to actually be surrounded by. It says this in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, I'm the root, you're the fruit. The fruit will always tell on the root. The fruit will always tell if you're planted in the church, you're planted in the word. I always hear people, I've heard this said before, like, be like, well, I just, God doesn't speak. I'm like, when's the last time you opened the Bible? Oh, a few months. Don't tell me God doesn't speak. You haven't opened your Bible. The word of God is this place where you start to plant yourself in scripture. It's alive. It is not some old history book. It is alive and active. The, the Bible says in Psalms that it's medicine to our flesh, health to our flesh, Hebrew word, medicine. So the word of God is this medicine to our flesh. It goes on to say, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Man, have you ever seen anybody's life where something happened, a moment of their life, something happened to them, and they just start to wither in front of you, and they start to get bitter in front of you, start to get pessimistic in front of you, because that one moment, they basically said, all right, I'm done. I'm just going to kind of build a fence around me, and I'm going to build some walls around me, and I'm going to make sure that nobody hurts me again. Building a fence and wall is not remaining in God. That is building your own defense mechanism so you never get hurt again. Here's what I mean by that. 20 years ago, it's an amazing book, Divine Mentor, uh, Wayne Cordero wrote it in the, in the 90s, but they had in the Yosemite these redwoods. Anybody ever seen the redwoods at Mere Woods or anything else? We, Rachel, we love those. We actually went up north, even up towards Eureka, and drove through one of the redwoods. Uh, it was awesome. It was only four hours there and four hours back to drive through a tree for two seconds. Whatever, okay? <laughs> Good times for the wifey, all right? Um, oh, my gosh, we're in the middle of a tree. This is cool. Okay, anyways. So 20 years ago, some of the big boys, the big redwoods just started falling over. And they're like, what is going on? These are redwoods. These shouldn't be falling over. They're like, oh, let's test the trees, bring in the scientists. Science, okay? And so they're checking out the science of the trees. They're like, what is this? They find out that the roots had been trampled on by so many visitors that the roots were actually being destroyed by the foot traffic of humans. And so they built fences around the redwoods so people could see them but not really experience them anymore. They didn't want anybody to hurt the roots. And what I think happens sometimes is that's a worldly way to take care of a tree problem. I get it. That's a worldly way. All right, get it. Yeah, hey, it's the best we can come up with right now. Let's put a fence because the roots are there. We don't want people walking on them. All right, build a fence, protect the redwoods. But for us... That is a worldly way, but not a heavenly way. And Jesus does not want you, when you have been walked on by people, walked on by the church, where they have stomped on places in your heart that you never thought people could stomp on, he is not calling you to build a fence around the roots and the life that you are built to live. He is asking you to be vulnerable again. If you want to overcome a wound, you have to be able to walk forward to the next promise of intimacy with the Lord and relationship with the church. This, this, is a, this is going to be a massive decision on your end. This is going to be a trust thing on your end with the Lord. I'm not asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to trust Scripture. I'm asking you to trust that God says, if you remain in my ways, watch the kind of fruit that comes into your life. 
I, I wrote this down. It's, it's, it's simple, but overcomers have to decide if they're going to be heavenly and worldly moments. And so you're going to have to decide, and this is a, a quote from Andy Stanley. I love it. He goes, here's a question every angry man and woman needs to consider. How long are you going to allow people you don't even like, people you are no longer in life with, maybe even people who aren't even alive anymore, to control your life? How long? Let me, let me say another one. The question isn't how much forgiveness do they deserve. The question is how much freedom do you desire? It, it, we always like, well, they don't deserve the forgiveness. Neither did I from Jesus. Neither did you. None of us deserve forgiveness, but we do actually have this promise of freedom. And the way the enemy holds you back from the moments of wounds and failures is that you just sit there on the judgment seat of life. Man, I, I was judgmental, by the way, the first five years of church. I was legalistic. Oh, my goodness. You should see. My, my pastor got a Ford Mustang, okay? It wasn't even a high-end one, but I was like, I am done tithing, okay? I'm not paying for this guy's gas, okay? <laughs> How dare you get a Mustang, all right? I'm driving a ghetto Nissan that I have paper in my windows. I'm going to community college. I'm tithing. I was making 1000 at the time. I don't know I'm talking in a New Jersey accent at right now. I was making $1,000. <laughs> Where am I? What am I doing right now? Um, I love accents, so sometimes they will creep in, forgive me. I'm not great at them, but I love them, okay? And I remember being like, how dare you, you know? And then I remember somebody would go see a movie, and I'd be like, oh my gosh, you are disgusting. How, I would never, oh, you know? And I would just judge, I would judge. I, I would, like people who drank, I was like, you had a glass of wine, you had devil juice, get out of here, you know? <laughs> These are all things that, this is how I processed my first five years. And that, because I was on the seat of what people deserve and what they should do and not do. This is not where you actually overcome things. This is where you actually get stuck in your own judgmental, creating your own gospel message of what's okay and not okay. Here's the deal. None of us deserve fair. What is fair? Like, you know, like, oh, that's not fair. Fair that Jesus died on a cross for us? No, it's not fair. Is it fair that somebody who hurt you isn't paying the price? That's not fair. It's not about fair. It's about freedom. And my prayer is, is that you would not go, ah, they don't deserve. you don't have to walk up to them. Forgiveness is a one-player game. Reconciliation is a two-player game. Some people feel like they need to have forgiveness uh, is reconciliation. But I mean, like, that person hurt me. I'm just waiting for them to come over to me and say, I'm sorry. And then I'll be like, I forgive you. This happens uh, in the very few, few, uh, few years of Rachel and I's first years of marriage. I remember she would do something. And I'd be like, all right, I'm going to forgive you once you say sorry. Once, and, not only, and, and I don't know about you, but have you ever had your spouse say sorry too soon? You know what I'm saying? Like, they hurt your feelings, and they're like, sorry, I, I, too soon, I'm still mad, you can't say it this quick, I'm still, I can't forgive your sorry, give me some time, all right? You know, and then they say sorry, like, but why are you sorry? Unpack the sorriness, okay? I need layers of why you're sorry, okay? And so you're giving all the layers of sorry, and then as they are, like, literally just paying the, the, the merits of all their sins before, you're like, now I forgive you, spouse. It's a really great marriage. It's fantastic. But, but this is what we do. This is, this is why Martin Luther actually birthed and broke away from the Catholic Church. It was merit and grace. What are you going to decide? Grace and freedom? Or are you going to have works and judgment and fair? The church is not about that. It's about grace and freedom. So stop deciding how much forgiveness this world needs and people need. And just decide how much freedom you want. I, I wrote this down. It's very simple, but it says in Romans. I didn't write this down. It's Romans 12, 21. If I did, that would be amazing. <laughs> God used me to write the Bible. You're welcome. No, this is Paul, okay? This is not me. That was the joke. Please don't leave. Okay. Um, 
If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm going to say a couple things. This is what I did write down. God turns battles into blessings. And as you go through the battles of people and wounds, it's going to become a blessing. And you may not see it, but that's what Scripture says. It goes on to say that I wrote, God turns the crap of this world into fertilizer. Yeah, I said crap on Sunday. I couldn't figure out any other word. I was going to say poopy, but I'm just, I can't do it. You know, like I was like, what's the perfect word? It, like, think, think about this real quick. For a plant to flourish, they put fertilizer. Poopy, okay? I'll use poopy. And they put it in the soil because there's nutrients that actually help the plant grow. And you may be saying, man, you don't understand the stuff I've been through, okay? It's hard for me to say crap. I'm just saying, the crap I've been through. If you would allow the Lord to take it and make it fertilizer, that the fruit that you could have come in your life, it, this is what God does. This is how he rolls. This is his nature. Because what happens is when we go through the stuff of this world, the world can't turn that stuff into fertilizer. It can't turn it into victory. It, it turns into hurts and hang-ups and wounds and pessimism. God turns mistakes into a message of God's mercy. He'll turn your mistake into a, a message of God's mercy. It's, if you think... If you think you're the biggest sinner in the room, you actually understand God more. And here's what I mean by that. All of us, if you're not the biggest sinner you know, you don't know yourself very well, okay? All of us have made so many mistakes. It's unreal. I, I, I just picture if, if, if I could put all my sins on this screen, we would have to be here, I'd say, for at least 10 minutes, 20, probably weeks, okay? Um, Don't compare if your mistakes are worse than anybody else's. You should actually be understanding how great his grace is. For great mistakes, he gives this thing called great grace. Acts 4, great grace was upon the disciples. Not great mistakes, not great failures. These guys were, some of them murderers. Some of them were people who basically forsook God and ran away from God. It doesn't say great mistakes were on them and God used them. No, it says he took their, their mistakes and you look at Peter, he took his mistakes and now made him the stud of all studs in Acts. Overcomers know when to call when they fail. They know when to call and who to call when they, when they fail. Psalm 116 says this, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and pleas for mercy, because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. God has given you his ear. He has given you his phone number. There are people in the church who are like, hey, can I get your number? Whoa, <laughs> too, too soon, man, too soon. But God has given you his phone number, his ear. And here's what I mean by that. I'll share a story. I'll tell myself. I shared this at team night. So if you're at team night, you get a double dose of the Holy Ghost. Come on now, here we go. Um, so uh, at team night, I share the story. This just happened. So Christmas Day, Rachel and I wake up. We make Christmas breakfast. It was awesome. Uh, a couple days later, a few days later, I walk into the house, and it smells like it's on fire, okay? Something is burning, smoking. I go, Rachel, what happened? She's like, oh, the stove, I think, I think something happened to it. It's smoking a little bit. I turned it, you know, I, I turned off the stove when it was happening, but now it won't turn back on. And so I walk in, and just so you know, I'm not handy, but I look at the stove, and I'm like, yeah, it's broke. We need a new one. Yep, yep, looks pretty broke to me, you know? All right, uh, I know what we need to do. We need to move. Let's go. All right, pack up the house. Broken stove. We got to get out of here. That, that, was, that would be my solution because I don't know how to fix it, okay? And a lot of us, if I'm just being honest, when we get even hurt in church, when something breaks, we're like, 
all right, it's broken here, let's leave. People, how silly would it be to leave a house because a because stove broke? And I believe that some of you have come here because you've been wounded, and I believe that you're called here. But I don't want you to leave here because somebody touches a little wound on your end. Because they don't text you in time or call you in time or because they say something that, that flares up and you're like, oh, I knew the same place like last time. No, don't let a simple thing that happened in the house make you leave the house. And so here's what happens. My wife knows her husband well. I basically don't do anything about it for a day or two. She buys a little convention oven that is about this big. It looks like an easy-bake oven and puts it on top of our broken stove. And we cannot make eggs. The top burners are off. Nothing's working. But we can make toast. I mean, literally, it was like this little big thing. I don't even know what we're making in there, but Rachel bought it. We still have it. Anybody needs to borrow a little oven? We have it now. Um, We're putting toast in there. You can cook some things, but not really anything. But it was, you know, doing a pinch. Three weeks go by. I, I feel judgment right now. Just take care of the stove, man. You got one job, bro. Just take care of the stove. I was busy. Okay. So finally, I called Dan the handyman. Okay. We, uh, we rent, and so Dan is our handyman. He's our landlord. I called, hey, Dan, I think the stove's broke. Uh, uh, you want to come over and take a look at it? Um, and so I'm thinking, like, hey, what's exciting when your stove breaks, you do get a new stove. So that was exciting. This one's a little older stove. I was like, we're getting a new stove. Um, so anyways, Dan comes in, walks into the garage. Puts this thing called a breaker. I was like, that's called a breaker? Oh, this is magic. Wow. Controls the whole house, huh? It's been here the whole time. Okay. So Dan flips the breaker, comes in, and I am praying. Don't work, stove. Please don't work. Oh, my gosh. Like, I have failed my wife for, but this is on a whole different level. Please. I, I hope it even explodes now. Like... I'm willing to even get hurt from this. Just set it on fire, God. Dan goes, on. Oh, it's all better. Okay. And he's like, yeah, you know, next time it happens, Tyler, just flip this right here. I was like, yeah, I, I saw it, Dan. I saw it. I saw it. Thanks, Dan. Just, just get out. Just, just get out, Dan. I need to repent to my wife. I need to tell her why I'm sorry, the layers of sorriness on this one. Three weeks. Three weeks. You know what's crazy? I had Dan's number the whole time. First day I could have called him. Hey, Dan, I think the broke. Dan lives right down the street. He, he, he wants to find excuses to come over, to be honest. He's retired, really nice guy. Him and his wife would love him. But yeah, he'll come over anything like, hey, just looking at the gutters. Uh, hey, thanks, Dan. Uh, uh. He's just a great, great guy. Three weeks it took me to call him. I had his number. He would have answered on the dot. This is what he loves to do. Three weeks. Something's broken. And for a lot of you, God is saying, I am waiting for you to call. I'm waiting for you to cry out. You have something broken in your life, and you have tried to do it your own self. You've even ignored it. You actually have bought something else to try to fix it. And what happens when you try to fix it yourself, it changes the capacity of your life to love and live. An oven that you can get on your own, it's not the right capacity, if you can put it that way. So you love different. Because the thing that was actually built to actually do the things for your house and your heart has been broken. You live different. You serve different. And if you just call the one that said, man, I'm inclined. I'm ready. Just just say it. And I want to fix what is supposed to be fixed. And I have to say this real quick. When the Bible says that the word is medicine to our soul, health to our flesh in Psalms. I don't know about you, but when I go to the doctor and they give me like a, hey, for two weeks, take this for your whatever. 
How many of you get frustrated if you take one pill, sip it, and be like, oh, I'm still sick. This didn't work. Get it out of here. <laughs> Call the doctor. You're the worst doctor ever. I'll talk to you later. Click. The way doctors don't give their number out, by the way. But we understand that it takes a season of taking the medicine to actually be healed. It might take you a season of taking the medicine of God for this thing to get completely healed. Don't think that just one little, ah, it's a commitment to call on the Lord. Second thing the Lord's given us, he's given us his heart. He's given us his heart. You're like, what? where does it say that scripture? Read Luke 15. The Pharisees don't understand how a God could operate this way. And he's saying, oh, you don't understand? I'll give you three stories how many these people have my heart. If 99 are gone, I'll leave for the one. Because this thing loves uh, his people. This shepherd loves, oh, if the house, I'll flip the house up for one little coin. And when I find it, what kind of person calls people and celebrates finding a coin? Somebody who has their heart connected to that coin. Oh, it goes on to say in the prodigal story, it goes, oh, when the son comes back, the father will run to the son, grab him, and kiss him all over. This is a God saying, you guys have my heart. This is what a God does when, I, when, you, ha- when you understand, you have my heart. It's a famous verse. But 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people are called by my name, humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sins and heal their land. If, my people, man, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Why don't you catch this real quick? I don't think I'm the only one in the house that has a bad, had a bad childhood or a bad run at church. But I remember the Lord revealing to me like some of my highlights with my dad because they say the way that your parents treated you, especially your father, is the way you picture God. And so, if you had an absent father, you picture an absent God. If you had an angry father, you picture an angry God. If you uh, had a good father, you picture a good God, but to be honest, your good father doesn't even hold a candle to the greatness of God. It's not a diss on your father, it's just a statement about how, the great, how great God is. So I'm, I think I'm nine, ten years old, and the Lord showed me this, and it happened in my life, but I, when you're so wounded by somebody, you never celebrate anything they do. When somebody's wounded, you don't even think about anything good they did because there's too many things because you almost have kept count almost of all the things they've done. And so even if they've done a few good things, it doesn't matter. But there was this moment the Lord showed me kind of his character towards me through my dad, and it's, I want to share it with you. It's a, it's a very uh, quick, simple story, but I remember playing baseball in my backyard. ball went over the fence. Uh, we had the neighbors who didn't like the kids climbing the fence, so they put a bigger fence up. But hey, when you lose your ball, you're getting that you're getting that uh, ball over the fence. But the fence on top it was one of those ones where the little metal hooks would come over, and they're supposed to be clamped all the way, but some were open. And I remember running at the fence, jumping on it, and my finger gets caught in the fence metal, and I still have a scar to this day, and it's literally hanging off of it. And then because this started hanging, I just lost it, and my leg. Right leg is doing the splits like this on the fence. I can't do that anymore. This is as high as I can go. But if you can picture this, I'm literally on a fence like this, one leg up, um, I think my left, and then my finger is hanging, and I'm bleeding. Blood is dripping on my face, okay, by the way, not to be too graphic, but I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm dying, you know? It's one of those moments, okay? And I'm just, I just start screaming. And I remember just crying, and I, I didn't know what else to do, and 
Uh, when I would break something in the house, the last person I would call was my dad because if I broke it, my dad would punish me. Not, never grace. I'd spill a cup at the table and my dad would cuss me out. You just spill water. He'd be like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, get your room. Just if you spilled water. This, this was the climate I grew up in as a kid. But I didn't know what to do. And so I just, I literally started screaming, Dad! Dad! And our, the way our yard was built was we had a, two terraces, a top terrace and a bottom terrace. And lived in Washington, so a lot of the houses have land, so it's at least half an acre. I see my dad, and he is just sprinting. I mean, just running at the top of his game. Uh, my dad was older. Uh, he had me when he was like 40, so I think my dad's like 55 at that moment. And I was like, I've never seen my dad move like this. I mean, he is just, I mean, like a soldier. And he is sprinting to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's going to spank my bottom. Oh my goodness, he's going to be mad at me. I just stained my new shirt. Oh my goodness. I start to see his face. and it's, I've never seen my dad worried. Worry is not a thing that he shows. It's a weakness to him. And he sees his son and he just literally, you guys know what old man strength is? Like, it doesn't matter how old your dad gets. He just can still beat you up. Like, he just holds you down. You're like, it doesn't matter. My dad literally, I just felt like he grabbed it with one hand. He's like, rah, rah, picks me up and pulls my finger off of the thing. And it carries me in the house and puts me down on the couch. And, and I'm bleeding on the couch. I'm like, I, I can't be on the couch. My dad didn't care. He said, Michelle, get, get da, da, da. Tyler got hurt. Get da. And I'm bleeding, and he doesn't care about anything else except making sure that is because the blood was everywhere. It's like, where is it? Where is it? I was like, right here. Sorry to be dramatic. I'm not cutting on. I'm not cut on the neck. Sorry, Dad, because it's just dripping on my shirt. Bandaged me up, and I remember the first time I felt cared for and rescued in my life. And God showed me that picture. He says, "I want you to hear this real quick." And I believe this is throughout Scripture. God wants you to see this. Is this is Luke 15? It's 2 Chronicles 7.14. And when you are caught up in the world where you don't even know how to get out and you're bleeding and you're wounded, if you cry out to your father, Romans, Abba, Father, oh, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, he is not a God who runs as angry because you messed up or did it yourself or hurt somebody else. He comes to literally carry you back, it says, and to restore all the things that this world has done to you. Now, you want to get good at life, get good at crying. You want to get good at life, you want to be fruitful in life. Man, holy criers are fruitful. Holy criers are conquerors. Holy criers overcome moments. It is okay to cry. Let me put it that way. It's okay to cry out to your God. I'm going to finish with this and we're going to go into worship. Ecclesiastes 4. Two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls... The other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? I'd never read that to youth kids because they'd be like, oh, we're allowed to cuddle. No, that's not what that means. Okay. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Woo! See all these, just Google Verses with the word conquer in it, okay? All throughout, God is building you to conquer, but also giving you ways to conquer and overcome moments. Like when one falls, that's a moment. When one fails, when one's been tripped by the world, when one's been attacked by the world, you're by yourself, what are you going to do? Two of you, oh, I love it. But it says, no, not two, it says, goes on to say, can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Three is even better. 
Guess what? I'm guessing four is even better. I'm guessing five is even better. He's not stopping at three. It's, he's showing us a picture in this that, that literally if you want to be somebody who overcomes moments in your life, you are not built to do life alone. I wrote this down and it's simply this is investors are overcomers. Takers are terrible. Here's what I mean by that. Been in church now for 15 years and have you ever met somebody? I'm not saying you have. I'm saying maybe I have. Where they come to church and they've been hurt or they've had a hard week and then they're just angry at everybody because they didn't rally around them. They're like, nobody called, nobody texted, I am so angry. And I want to ask them, oh, you tell me your small group just totally blew you off? I'm not in a small group. You're telling me that the, the, the team lead that you serve on blew you off? I'm not on a team. I don't serve. You're telling me that the you called me and I didn't call you back? I didn't call you. You should just know. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor all summer gathering food for the winter. But you lazy bones, how long will you sleep? How long will you just come and actually not be a part of this community? It's a question you got to ask yourself if you want to overcome moments. You're built to be in community. It's going to cost you. It's going to take investment. Even when you come into it, there may be somebody who wounds you. You're going to push through it because this is what we do. When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Stop. Here's what this is saying. All of us are going to have a moment in our life happen where something terrible is going to happen. But if you invested before that moment in people and in community, when that moment happens, when winter comes, those people are right there with you. Make way more investment than withdrawals with people in this next season and see what happens in your life. There's so many people come to church just to withdraw. They think it's all about them. They want to meet with somebody, not to actually invest in them, but they want for themselves. They want friendship, but they're not very good friends. They want to be, uh, they want to be in community, but they don't know how to actually operate in community. This season, make an intentional effort. I'm going to invest in people more than withdraw. I'm going to come in going, how do I invest in people, not take from people? How do I encourage people, not be mad because they didn't encourage me? How do I say hi to people, not be mad that they're not saying hi to me? And for a season, watch what happens in your life. Investors are overcomers. Invest in the community of God. Will you bow your heads?